hello and welcome to the Sound Ideas podcast as we get to the end of 2021. This week, I'm going it alone and speaking with Shane Foxman. Shane is a veteran television and radio broadcaster, former sports reporter for CBC News Vancouver. He's worked with a long list of shows and networks, including City TV, Breakfast TV, among others. Shane worked across Canada before eventually moving to Victoria, working on the ledge there. And then, of course, coming to Vancouver over 15 years ago, where he currently resides. It was my pleasure, and without further ado, here he is. Oh, there was, um, I was once asked at the last, I I think I was working at, um, oh, 180 West 2nd. So whatever the station was called at the time, probably Global. And the assignment editor goes to me, hey, uh, he was involved with the Burnaby Firefighters, and he goes, uh, the MC for the uh, big event this summer, or this, uh, this week, the fundraiser, whatever, their gala, uh, just bailed on us. Can you do it? Yeah, sure, man, I'll do it, whatever. So I go, I, I'm, I'm there. And, you know, I, again, I, get, I always got nervous speaking when they can see you, the people. It's a little different when you can't see you, but when people mm-hmm. can see you, it's a little different. You can see their reaction. I'd rather imagine that they're enjoying themselves than think, oh, they're not. And we, I'm at the head table with, you know, uh, some dignitaries and whatever in me, and there's a program in front of me. Everyone's sitting down. And uh, I see people are eating their salads and things. And I look at the program in front of me and it says, you know, uh, benediction and then the fireman's prayer. And then we eat salad. So again, I don't know anybody. I'm the fill-in. I don't know if anyone even knows who I am. I get up from my seat. I walk to the podium and I, excuse me, everybody. Is there a, a Bill Mitchell? Is there a Bill Mitchell here? And Bill's over. They go, Bill, put your fork down. I go, listen, I notice on the program, do you have a program? It says you're doing the fireman's prayer. I was so excited. I wanted to hear that. I didn't know what it was. And then we were having salad. What, what, what's going on? So half the room is aghast and terrified. The other half of the room is laughing and they're all in. Mm-hmm. And that was the entire evening. I had half the room loved me and the other half of the room hated me. And once I realized I couldn't move the people that hated me over, I just played to the fun people and Fuck those guys. Yeah. Well, at least you got 50-50. Right. I think that's really probably all you can ask for. There you so go. So what's the fireman's prayer? Uh, I don't remember. I wasn't listening. I, all I was thinking as I walked back to my seat as he was getting up to do the fireman's prayer. It was nice, though. Like the chief, the fire chief got up and said, Shane's absolutely right. So, you know, but still, it was... Look, anytime you speak in front of a live audience, you're taking... So one time... Every year in, in uh, Vancouver, they hand out the, uh, what are they called? The, the Webster's, the Webster Awards, Journalism Awards. Mm-hmm. And uh, every year, a different station, TV station, is the, the MCs and the host. So uh, the year CBC was doing it when I was there, Tony Parsons and Gloria Makarenko were going to be the hosts. But Gloria, on the day of the event, wakes up. She has laryngitis. Can't talk. Game over. They call me in and go, Shane, can you fill in and do this tonight? Yeah, okay. So I went up there, and again, thank God. It's like when in pro sports where they go, we don't tell certain guys get in their own heads, right? So they don't tell them they're going to be the starting pitcher until the day of. So they don't have time to get all freaked out about it. They just get into it and do it. So that was what happened for me, and I thought, okay. Now, this is a room of people that would be like me. So we all think that we're good. 
<laughs> no, we all, you have to. In, you in know that, that you're good. You have to think that you're good. But if you're, you're on good. air every day, you, think, you need to go on right. with the gumption. You need to be good. You need right. To, you need to be able to speak, but you also have to be confident. Right. So there's something. So I know that the, the whole time there's going to be people in the audience that are going, well, I could do that better. Like, I know there is. There's no way around that. I get that. So it's going to go either two ways. And as God is my witness, I don't know why. It might have been one of my greatest nights ever. I'm seeing any event ever. I don't know why. Everything was, everything was perfect. Tony Parson was the greatest straight man of all time. So everything I did, like it was... So uh, you were, yeah, you were the, that athlete. So you didn't have time to think about it. You, of course, said, yes, I'm going to pinch hit for my colleague, uh, friend. And off you went. And you didn't think about it. And then also, you know, you've been speaking publicly for your whole career. And so obviously it's just second nature. Yeah, like I'm, I don't worry about saying something off color or anything like that, but I do have, I walk the line a lot sometimes, especially in a live event where I know the audience in some way, shape or form. I've had a cocktail or two because I need that uh, just to relax. I realized the first time I did something and I, I had written my, my remarks and I was um, my wife now, but my girlfriend at the time and I was you know, reading it to her saying, what do you think? And she goes, uh, you sound like you're reading the news. So I was like, okay. So now I don't write anything. I just write points. Mm-hmm. And I just remind myself of things I want to say. And I, don't, I never tell the same story the same way ever. Because it's the moment that you're telling the story. Sometimes you can tell a story and people around you, even that don't know you, nothing about you, are hanging on every word. And sometimes you can tell the story and you're not into it, so why would they be into it? I used to say, I used to teach a night school class at BCIT uh, about three or four years. And we used to say, it shouldn't look like you're in the dentist chair. You should be enjoying yourself. Like I, if I'm walking down Granville Street and I see the guy in the window throwing the dough up in the air, the pizza place, and if he's into it, I'm stopping and watching. <laughs> yeah. Like, right, if someone's into anything, you're drawn to that. Yeah, and you can't fake it. And I've noticed that too, so... Um... We'll rewind a little bit after this point, but I've recorded with Frank and a guest, and sometimes I come into this at odd hours, and I'm busy, and I'm tired, and then I come in, and I usually generally do the setup. Frank's got a lot of charisma. He's well-spoken, but every now and again, I set up, okay, I'm like, finally, we're going, and then I find myself drifting off a little bit, or I'm not into the conversation. I'm like, well, if I'm not into this, there's no way in hell anyone else is. Right, and why would they be? No, exactly. You're not even finding it interesting. Yeah, if I'm drifting off from my own <laughs> your podcast or my own conversation, then it's maybe just time to take a nap or maybe get some inspiration of sorts. Yeah, no, yeah. that's it completely. You're your best audience. I never had to have anyone tell me something was good or bad. I know if it was good or bad before you tell me. Yeah. By the time I get off the show, whatever I was doing ever, I know if I had a good day <laughs> or a bad day. I don't need anyone to tell me. Yeah, it's like having a race that's untimed and you're feeling it. Uh, and you know, you, you know, it, it hasn't gone well. Um, and I'm sure with actual athletes, it's probably the opposite sometimes too. So yeah, I'm going to rewind a little bit. Um, first of all, I wanted to personally thank you obviously for your time because in this day and age, um, everyone's busy and I really, really have a, a, a lot of gratitude for those that'll take time to do something like this, obviously. Um, so thanks. My pleasure. And, um, yeah, welcome to the sound ideas podcast. Oh, that's what it's called. That's what it's called. The Sound Ideas? The Sound Ideas Podcast. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I like that. So uh, this is episode 10, coincidentally, and uh, it was co-created by myself and my good friend, Frank Wolf, 
who you've met in the alley briefly once or yes. twice. Friends with Tybo, coincidentally. Friends of the alley, we like to say. Exactly. Um, he's getting some R&R on the island this weekend, so it's the first episode I've done solo. Um, and yeah, we've been doing it for about a year, and this is our 10th episode. So anyway, thank you. Today... So what is that average? Like one every five weeks? You know, it's a little more erratic. Frank has a tendency to go on 30 to 60 day unsup- like unsupported outdoor adventures in right. the summer. So we've really ramped it up and we've kind of done, I think, three to five episodes over the last uh, four months. But the summer was dead because he was away and I was busy. So Right. Yeah. And it, I mean, ultimately, there's a few things I wouldn't mind talking about today. Um, sports, because I know you're a huge sports fan. CBC. And then maybe philanthropy, if you'd like to get into that. But ultimately... We can talk about whatever you want. Excellent. Perfect kind of day for me. Yeah. So thanks. My pleasure. Uh, again, uh, look, how I ran into you, how I ran into pretty much uh, anyone that we know in common, I met in the alley. It's true. So that's, this feels like an extension of the alley. Exactly. So the, for those that don't know, uh, Shane is my neighbor. And uh, over COVID, obviously, the, uh, the geographic spaces that you traveled within got really tight. And um, we were hanging out, obviously, at home a lot. And uh, he developed a really tight friendship with his direct neighbor, Tyvo. Um, and then we saw other friends who will remain unnamed, but people like Dylan and whoever else. And it, and it became a thing. It, it was the silver lining. It, without a doubt, helped me. It's hard to believe it's coming up on two years. But I remember still the day it started. And it seems ridiculous. But it, it just happened. Uh, they just announced the lockdown. I was at ov- arguably not. You know what? It's not even arguably. I was at the last monster event before the lockdown, like two days before. I was at the uh, Jack Diamond Sports Dinner. Maybe eight hundred people in there. And that night, while we're at dinner, the NBA shut down. Mm-hmm. And then within days, by Friday, that was our last day of school. And that was a Wednesday night, I think. It was the dinner. So by Friday, it was shut down completely. So I believe. And then by the middle of next week. The middle of the next week, my wife had already laid off, you know, she has a 10, 11 employees. She had to lay off nine of them. Nothing, it was over. Like, and I, we were all thinking, okay, well, what are we possibly going to do? I was fortunate I could work from home, uh, but my wife's business had just, you know, disappeared all of a sudden. And would it come back? At that time, we're going, oh my God, how long can you stay? So my wife, being the uh, great uh, optimist that she is, goes, uh, it was nice that day, which is weird. It was March. Uh, it was a nice that day. We walked outside, poured ourselves a shot of tequila, and uh, Tyvo happened to be in his backyard and heard the words tequila and uh, stuck his face over the fence, a la Wilson and Home Improvements, and said, uh, oh, what are you guys doing, having a shot? Yeah, so we got him a shot glass. Uh, we had a shot of tequila to the unknown, what was going to happen over the fence, and said, okay. And then the next day, uh, you know, Tyvo texted me and said, Hey, it's uh, five o'clock. Do you want to have a shot over the fence? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I've been inside all day working on the, you know, phones and computers. Yes. I'd love to see somebody other than my, you know, 11 year old at the time. I, I can't hear. I don't want to talk about online school anymore. Like I'm exhausted. I, it's froze. It froze. I can't see anything. Dad, it's an emergency. Okay. Okay. Like my day was just hell. Uh, as soon as you finish breakfast, you're making her lunch. Like it was all of a sudden I was running a cafeteria. It was unbelievable. So um, we'd, we'd go outside, uh, we'd, I'd have a shot, and then after about, I'm going to say, two weeks of us having multiple shots every night, uh, that we said, you know, we could have a drink, I guess, we don't have to have shots. And then well, we said, well, yeah, but, or we could have drinks and shots. So it kind of went that way for a while. 
Uh, and then it was all fine and dandy. But once it got to, you know, 15, 16 months straight, like it, it's become hard. I've never weighed more than I weigh right now. I also am a little on the, on the heavier side. And uh, Frank would be proud of you guys because, you know, he, he got into his, his pseudoscience and he'd be like, Adam, uh, alcohol kills COVID. You know, if anything over 40%, I mean, it's done. And you, you, this is the, the elixir that's going to save you. And then he was also about the, the saunas. He's like, Adam, the COVID cannot live in, in a temperature of above, you know, 40 degrees. So if you're in a sauna or if you're drinking hard alcohol, you know, like scotch, then you're probably fine. Um, and Great then, recipe. And then I was living alone for quite a while. And my partner was on the island in Victoria on business. She was working on a film production. And Frank was in my bubble. And I had like maybe two people in my bubble, so to speak, and I was living alone, so that was technically allowed. I kept it pretty tight. I was pretty respectful of the spirit of it. Um, But it gets a little weird. Now, the good thing is I I had some outdoor uh, activities to keep myself straight. I was working, which was really nice because that was a nice distraction. So I had a lot of personal space and I had a lot of physical space. You know, I had a good place to work. I had a big, comfortable bed. And I did get to go skiing once or twice every week. And occasionally, eventually, I would start skiing with a small group of friends, usually outside. And so I got some Well, yeah, I don't think you ski inside, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No problem. I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> but it's nice to know that I'm listening. Well, you never know. Most no, see, right there. I'm right, I'm right with you there. I'm, I'm skiing, inside or outside, but I'm right there. Well, point being, I got to see some folks, and it, it gave me my sanity, I think. Oh, that's all it was, silver lining. Uh, I still remember the day Dylan showed up. He lives two doors down down from me. Uh, he he was in Hawaii when the lockdown came. Mm-hmm. So the couple, the best was he on his way to Hawaii. The couple he was flying out with, uh, it was uh, him and his wife and his son, and the couple and their kids were coming too. Uh, they're at the airport when the couple calls and goes, "You know what? We're not coming. We've decided we're bailing on the trip." But you know, he's already he's already at the gate. So him and his family go, and he goes, it was strange mm-hmm. the whole time. But when he came back, he had to quarantine for two weeks. So we'd already been in the alley for a while when one day he shows up. Mm-hmm. And he was, hey, guys. <laughs> and uh, uh, again, silver lining. I, I've lived here in this house for 13 years, maybe 14. Tyvo, I think, moved in about seven, eight months after me. I think Dylan moved in about six months after that. But I didn't know the... like. Tyvo, I knew because he was my next door neighbor, but not really that well. I used to, <laughs> there was a, there's a girl I used to work with that lives in the neighborhood too somewhere. And she said uh, one day at work, she goes, oh, I was talking to one of your neighbors. I go, oh yeah, great, who? And I go, I don't know who that is. They go, yeah, yeah. They said, they go, your wife is really nice. And you, uh, I go, yeah. I would spend all my day talking to people strangers all day long when i got out of the car in front of the house i'm not interested in other strangers details anymore i just want to get in my house i just want to decompress and go okay i'm done i'm not talking to anybody i'm not listening to anybody other than my immediate family which you know some days you'd like to tune out to but regardless there that's it so the alley like i didn't i got to know tyvo really well as you mentioned dylan yourself uh, Eddie, like I could draw, you know, uh, Amos, Kevin, Kevin, yeah. right. And then, you know, Ted, like everyone. Exactly. Brian and, uh, now I can't even remember her name. It's okay. It'll come to me. Karen. Karen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
Um, and then, uh, yeah, so everybody, right? Like, it's just an, an amazing thing. I think it's helped keep me sane. Yeah, and it's it's built up the neighborhood, you know. Oh, 100%. And I'm the same way. I don't think I'm as extroverted as you are, but I also don't work in, in radio full-time, uh, nor do I. You know, I know your, your work is probably pretty demanding in terms of personal conversation, but when I'm at work, I do work in sales, so I'm on the phone, emailing, and then you have to have the, all those water cooler conversations. And you're right, when you get home and you're tired and you're home, you don't turn around and assemble a group of people outside to, to continue. Right. I don't want to talk anymore. So it's, it's been fantastic. And I think, uh, I think everyone's taken something different from it, probably, but I think it's helped everybody. Yeah. I have no doubt that it's helped everybody uh, in one way, shape, or form. Just, uh, yeah, like everybody was working from home. If they were working. Right. If they were working even, you're 100%. But a reexamination of how people want to live their lives happened. Oh. And there was some, there's some huge bonuses there because a lot of people have changed industries, changed jobs, changed their lifestyle. Um, and I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I feel I'm coming out of this stronger and happier, even though it's been shit. No, 100%. But companies too. Like I, I, there was an office I went into the other day and I'm like, this place looks like March 2020. Like, it looks like it just started. No one works there anymore. Everybody works from home because they realize, okay, you know what? You can work from home. Stuff does get done. Everything's happening. There's only a few jobs where you have to be there. So, okay, if you can work from home, and the, like how much uh, commercial real estate is there going to be soon? Like, we don't need four floors. We need one floor. We don't need uh, a building anymore. Everyone's working from home. Everyone's online. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what plays out. Yeah, and I'm curious there as well. I have one one person in my fiance's family who's a, a real estate agent that does corporate, and then I, a, a lot of my clients work in um, real estate or development, business development. Um, by that, I mean more construction. And uh, I mean <laughs> the story they spin is a little bit more optimistic and a bit different. Um, but I think if like everything else, it's just a pendulum, so it will swing back. And I think that that some people are sick of their houses so for me i think the hybrid model will probably work best for me but my house is getting a lot smaller so my office i had a full clean closed office that is now going to be a nursery right so what are you doing now i moved my office space to our living room for temporary times and that's not going to work buddy when the baby arrives the entire house is baby space there is nothing else well exactly but in the new year, my office is going to open back up with the hybrid model so I can work from work again. So work from my uh, corporate office. So that's the plan. But you're right. I, I wouldn't be able to do the work I'm doing now without uh, a quiet space and specifically a closed quiet space is that separate. And uh, spending this much time with your significant other is, for the most part, it's not very healthy. Oh, my God. We weren't meant to be like that. We're not meant to spend 24 hours a day with people. Yeah. Maybe at the very beginning of a relationship, sure. But after that, no chance. Like, come on. It's crazy. By the time you get home from your vacation, you're happy to go to work. Not for work, for the drive to work. Oh, my God, I'm by myself. Oh, my God. You know, let me just pull over and sip my coffee and listen to whatever I want to listen to. Or maybe listen to nothing. Just silence. And just enjoy the moment. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we're not meant to be together 24-7. It's just not... It's impossible. It, it breeds resentment. It does, you know. Yeah, and distance makes the heart grow fonder. I think is uh, the truth to it. Uh, yeah, uh, to a certain degree, a hundred percent. Yeah, 
uh, you open up enough distance for a, long, uh, a longer length of time, and I don't care who you are, you're doomed. You're going to drift away. Yeah, it's impossible not to. Yeah. Well, we, 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 we crave companionship of it's some true. kind. No, it's true. And I think that, like, yeah, I mean, people that work extremely uh, busy jobs, people that travel a lot, people that are always at work, you know, I think that, uh, I don't know the statistics offhand, but it's going to fade. And my partner works in the film industry, and the statistics for marriage are not good. And I think, you know, we all hear a lot about the tabloids, about what's happening in, in people's lives, like stars and stuff. But then I realized, oh, well, okay, well, fair enough. It's not, you know, they get the press, but this is happening to everybody. You know, I mean, you know, divorce is high. Um, and everyone gets to hear about it because they're being written about in, the, in the, the papers and they're being spoken about in the media. But the reality is what they do is incredibly intense. They're, they're traveling for months, if not years at a time. Their work is 12 to 18 hours a day. And there's, there's not really time to facilitate strong, healthy relationships. So there's really no wonder, unless you have a really strong relationship going into that with an understanding and, you know, you can still make time. And one of her, one of her earlier clients, um, you know, the, the two individuals basically had to see each other every three months. Their rule as a couple, and this was, um, you know, a Hollywood couple, well-known, um, but their rule is we don't go more than, I don't know if it was one month or three months without seeing each other. And obviously they have the means to fly in and out, and that, that was just a rule. Three months would be too much, too. Yeah. Uh, three, once every three months, really? So four times a year. We'll guarantee ourselves that at least four times it, a year. It might have been every three weeks. I'll, I honestly I'll, let's can't go with a month. Let's go with a month, and I can live with that. But it used to be, I used to think, if you, survive, if you could survive you know, buying a house together, or if you could survive... Um, uh, there was another one that I used to think about that was if you could survive a couple of things. But if you can get through the pandemic of working from home, look, there'll be highs and lows for sure. There's no way around it. Otherwise, you're not even human. Um, then you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Like, I believe that. If you come through this and, you're feeling, and, you, and you come out the other side, that's a pretty tough challenge and a pretty big hurdle to get over. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for me, my partner, I mean, we're now engaged. We're on the brink of having our first child. It's very exciting around the alley. We made it through and we are, we're better than we ever have been. And there was some pretty low times during the personally and then as, as a team. But now I feel like we we've done something and accomplished something together. If, if it was only basic survival. Well, that's pretty much it, wasn't it? Yeah. Especially at the beginning, the unknowns and the stress of Okay, are we ever going back to like what, what's going to happen here? How's it going to play out? Yeah, uh, it, it was uh, again a lot of drinking, a lot of medication, a <laughs> lot of medi- self medication over the last uh, whatever it is twenty months, yeah, or so. Yeah, well, I'm going to take a moment. I'm not going to use the the word, but I'm going to change things up a little bit here. Sure. And I'm going to go into one of the subjects I first mentioned. So. The CBC. So you worked in journalism for a long period of time. Since 1989. You worked in 89, and you're still uh, working in, in broadcasting, uh, albeit here and there, rather than full-time, because yes. you have a full-time career. Um, I've honed in on CBC, but I know you worked for a lot of different networks. And um, personally, I was speaking to a friend the other day. We were talking about you. We were, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna speak to Shane. And uh, he's a big sports guy, Matt Armstrong. And he's like, I remember listening to Shane. And I never listened to the radio, but when I started driving more in the city, I found myself listening to CBC. And I do remember 
you or you coming on. It was only in the evening or in the morning, and you would do, you know, you'd be doing like the sports bit. Um, but you're one of the few people that captured um, my interest because CBC is incredibly bland, you know, by design, and that's okay. I mean, it's corporate radio. It's not corporate radio, but it's 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 public radio, and they're they're catering to usually an older demographic, and they also have to be very conservative in terms of what they say and the, the subjects. But you always came with a little bit more panache than your your average um, you know CBC commentator. So anyway, we both remembered you, and of course. When the Canucks did their run as well, you were all over the place. And that was probably, in my uh, time here in Vancouver, that was the most important time for the Canucks, um, you know, since the glory days of, of Linden, I'd imagine. So it was pretty cool. And that's generally how I think a lot of people remember you now. But um, Yeah, no, for sure. I'll tell you a funny thing how I even ended up at CBC. I was... Uh, on a Thursday morning when I was working, I was the host of uh, Breakfast Television at City TV. Uh, I get called in on a Thursday after the show at um, whatever that'd be, 9 o'clock. It was 6 till 9. At 9.01, I'm called into the office. It's a Thursday because I was going on. I had a long weekend planned. I had taken Friday off. I'm going on a kayaking trip to the Johnson Strait. It was ridiculous. It's another story, but kayaking with the whales, ridiculous. Yeah. But anyway, I get called into the office. And I'm done. Okay. You know, new guy in the corner office wants his own guys. I get it. I'm done. Uh, Shane, uh, just walk out. Uh, we'll clean out your desk and have someone bring it to you. Like they're scared I'm going to steal a stapler. So anyway, I'm home. I got no job. Uh, I'm hanging around. It's about, uh, about a month into it, not working, going, okay, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, you know what I mean? It's not, you can't just go open up your own shop. You know, you're, you're kind of beholden to it. There's only a handful of jobs real, in the big scheme of things, and it's hard to get one. Um, and then one day I get a call from uh, uh, a reporter at CBC, Karen Larson, who uh, was the uh, sports person at CBC Vancouver, and she goes, Shane, uh, we're, I'm going to cover the Olympics for a month. Uh, she always went for the network. She's a former synchronized swimmer for Canada. Uh, she's going to cover the Olympics. They need a fill-in for a month. Uh, can I throw, would you mind? I know you're, what happened. I go, oh, thanks. I appreciate you throwing my name in. Anyway, they call me in. Shane, great. We'd love to have you for the month. Okay, great. It happens that during that month that I'm there, uh, they're revamping the show and they bring in some consultants. And you know what that's like. They bring in all that stuff. And the consultants, as they're watching the show, and again, it's me, Ian Hanna-Mansing, Gloria Makarenko, uh, and, uh, oh, Claire. What's Claire? Claire Martin was the weather, was the weather person, the meteorologist scientist she was great um they go as they're watching the show and they see the style of the show and everything and they look at this at me and then they go well that guy gets it so that's good uh, you don't have to worry about that we'll work on everything else everyone else is awesome like it's not like they just wanted glory and ian to be themselves like you know cbc until then everything's tamped down these guys are coming in saying no let your people be themselves because you know ian and glory are unbelievable um and so, but I was already like that. I don't work there. I have nothing, uh, you know what I mean? I'm not doing anything. Everyone's just happy that someone's filling the time. As we say in TV, Phil Black. So I was Philip Black. So I'm there and they go, well, that guy gets. And they go, well, that guy doesn't work here. <laughs> like I'm just filling in. Well, yeah. But then from there, I spent the next eight years there. Okay. And that led to the Canucks uh, crazy run that okay. was unbelievable. Okay, so really not, not that long ago. Well, I mean, it's long ago now, but I mean, it, you took that on later in your career. The witch. Well, the year started CBC. Oh, yeah. No, I had already... Oh, buddy. 
1989, I'm in your... I still remember. So when back in the day, and this is like, again, 1988, 1989, when I finished school and I've got to find my job, uh, you go, okay, well, I've got to go to the minors. It's like sports. I've got to go to the small towns and earn my stripes and get my way up to the big city. Uh, so you would send out VHS tapes. and uh, Your demo reel. Exactly. Some stories, whatever, in your resume. And I would send out... <coughs> Excuse me. I would send out 40 of them. But not to anywhere good. I'm only sending to small places because I don't think I'm good enough to work at a big city. Mm-hmm. How could I be? I've never done anything. Well, I still remember I was working for my brother. He had a, uh, a car leasing company. And I was, you know, just, I would book service appointments for people, whatever. Anyway, and I get the job in Yorkton, Saskatchewan. I accept the job. No idea where Yorkton is, but I got a job. That's all I was so thinking. Stoked. It was your first job in the in first your industry. job yeah. yeah so i open my atlas and i look on the map and i go dad i'm moving here he was like what i go yeah yorkton saskatchewan they're paying me thirteen thousand dollars it's going to be wicked 1989 thirteen thousand dollars thirteen four i think so yeah i think it was thirteen four so i go okay i'm going to pack up my car and i'm driving out there so my younger brother drove out there with me and then he flew back. Mm-hmm. I drove to Regina. He flew back. And then I drove to Yorkton, a town of 15,000. But it was the regional center. Every town around it was smaller. Like, how does this place have a TV station? But it was a twin stick, they called it. So uh, it was two channels, a C- CBC affiliate and a CTV affiliate. So you'd do the news live on the CBC side. And then they would... I got to cough for a second, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you did, the show wasn't the same with both networks. You did one and then the other, or did they just broadcast? No, you did one live. Okay. So because the national was on at 10, Mm -hmm. so the CBC local news is on at 11, but CTV national news is on at 11. So the local news goes on at 1130. So you do it live on the CBC side, then they'd play it on the CTV side at 1130. So you'd be drinking at the bar and you could be on the TV. So trust me, in a small farm in town, and you worked in Saskatchewan. What are we talking, like 5,000, 20? 15,000 people 15, in the town. 15,000, okay. Um, trust me, if I'm at the bar and I'm on TV, that's the best opening line I've ever had. <laughs> right? Like, and you just, and the novelty was there. Like you had just started, you know, you did your journalism. Where did you go to school? By I, the went way? To, uh, I, went, I went to York University first, then I took journalism, and then I went to a broadcast journalism program at Loyalist College, and that was in Belleville, Ontario. So you did have a really cool, strong education. Obviously, York is a pretty great institution. But there you are in your first gig, and you get to see yourself on TV. It was bizarre. And you're a star because it's, it's so 20,000 people right. all around, and you're suddenly the, the person, the guy. Buddy, um, we'll see if we're crossing a line here on the. Uh, no, you know, <laughs> no, I, you know what? I'll share it and we can decide later. Mm-hmm. But because it was so small, um, at the time when I moved out there, and again, it's 1989, not the world we live in now, it was 1989. So my brothers uh, would send me packages, FedEx packages, with uh, medications. And because it was a small town, the purelator guy would go to my apartment. And when I wasn't there, he'd just bring it by work. Mm -hmm. Because they'd go, oh, Shane, I swung by the apartment. But everyone knew you. So he would just bring it by work. So I'd be at work and they'd call me to the front. And there's the guy and he's giving me a package that I know contains stuff that no one needs to know is in here. Hey, what did you get? What'd you get? Did you get a care package from home? What'd you get? What'd you get? 
Nothing. I'm not like, interested. I don't know. I'll open it later. I'm not yeah, sure. I'm, my, not, I'm not really interested. Know, it's my bad so, birthday but, in six months. So, but I go to the, you know, I go to the, my car breaks down and I'm at the garage there and I'd go and then, you know, it's $300 to fix it. And again, I'm making 13 K I'm making no money. And the guy would go, Shane, don't worry. You pay me when you can. Like it was that sort of, it was Mayberry. Salt I was living in Mayberry. People just nice to each other. It Small was, community. Yeah. So it was a I, different time. I moved every 18 months for about 10 years. Wow. Uh, it would be six months you'd get to a town, you'd try to figure out what you were doing. Six months to do, get your demo reel together. And then six months to get out. That's how long I took. And I made, Yorkton, Saskatchewan didn't know what the heck was going on. Uh, from Yorkton, I went to Thunder Bay, Ontario. So that's a city of 125,000. But this is pre-satellite stuff. Like, we were too isolated. I could do an unbelievable story. I covered a standoff, an armed standoff for 14 hours. No one saw it outside of there. Mm -hmm. Like we weren't affiliated with anybody. We were doing nothing anywhere. So I had to get out. So then I moved from there to Lethbridge, Alberta. And again, I'll tell you at the end of the story, but Lethbridge, Alberta, 34,000, but it was part of a chain. So if I had a great story, it ran in Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, gave me more exposure, right? That's all I'm looking for is to get to the big city. Mm -hmm. And by big city, look where I'm going. Like I'm hopped every 18 months. I'm going to another small town thinking, okay, it's my next step. It's my next step. Uh, and then from Lethbridge, Alberta, I went to Barrie, Ontario. Well, I took a job in Texas. Oh, you went down South. Theoretically. I applied for a job as a crime reporter at a station in the ABC affiliate in Lubbock, Texas. Guy loves me. They hire me. What's going to happen with my green card? Don't worry. We'll take care of it. Blah, blah. Okay, I quit my job because I, I hated my fucking job in Lethbridge. So I quit my job. I'm good. I'll take a month off and then I'll go down. Well, I hang out a month. The guy that hired me gets fired. The station goes, who are you? We've never heard of you. Exactly. There's no green card. So now I'm in Lethbridge with no job. Ugh. Well, what am I doing there? I'm not getting a job. So I was like, I had to pack up my bags and I started heading, driving back to, back to Toronto. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't believe I've put all this time in. I'm 29. I got nothing going on. Like, what's my career? I have no career. I'm finished. So I come back. Ugh, I'm back. There's a job for a weekend weather guy at, the new v at CKVR in Barrie, Ontario. I know CKVR because I grew up in Peterborough. Oh, so you and, know checks. You and, were checks. We were checks. And it's, it, Sarnia and VR land was always a mystery to me because we got all their coverage. But they, you know, it was, it was VR land at the time. I think I probably... That heard, was, no, I was there when it turned into VR. Right. I was there before that. And, which just, I don't know, you're a kid. You're like, it's, it, it's also, it kind of sounds silly. It's not that interesting. I mean, brand wise, you know, VR land and you're, you're in Peterborough and you're like, where is Sarnia? Like, what's VR? land and, no, and more I know. importantly why do i care 100 percent. but it's nice that they had a thing going but I, I i i'm kind of embarrassed to say that i never really went up there and i had a, a client the other day i was talking to somebody in sardia and up in that zone and it's so close but you know ontario is big and there's a lot of communities that are you know, the size of peterborough 60 to 120 grand so there's like you know london sarnia there's guelph and there's all these spots and it's like well unless you're playing you know uh, competitive hockey because I played hockey, but we, there's enough arenas within an hour and a half, two hours drive. Unless you're playing competitive hockey or sport or you have family somewhere, you're not going to go to all those spots. No, no. It was, uh, I had interned there when I was in school. I did like my month internship there, ripping the cable and the wires and whatever. Mm -hmm. So when they had a weekend weather guy, I was like, okay, I'll go up. I'll see. It's something. Right. I need something. I got to work. So I go up. I don't get the job. 
And when they call me to tell me I don't get the job, they go, because I'm not loose enough. I'm too tight. You. So I say to the guy, and this, because I didn't get the job, so what do I care? I say, you know what? You don't even know me. I would have killed it. Anyway, thanks anyway, Tony. It was Tony Panacci. I'll never forget. Okay, thanks. Anyway, about uh, a week and a half later, uh, I'm getting ready to go down to do an interview for uh, a job reading, reading the news at the All Sports Radio Channel. They need someone to do news breaks in the morning. So I'm going down for an interview there. And as I'm getting ready to go down, and I'm not excited at all, I'm going, I can't believe this is where I'm getting to. Um, uh, I was staying at my sister's house then. Uh, she goes, hey, phone. I call. In Toronto? Yeah, it's the guy from Barrie. Mm-hmm. To go, hey, you know what? We had second thoughts about the guy we hired. We'd like to offer you the job. And then the first day I'm there, honest to God, the first week I'm there. So I'm training, right? So whatever. I'm going to be working Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's my week, Monday, mm-hmm. Tuesday off. I'm going to be a news reporter Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And on the weekend, I'm the weather guy. Okay, so they're going to train me Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So Wednesday, I'm just learning what who's everybody. Thursday, the reporter that I'm shadowing, who's showing me the ropes, is at a, some school holiday play of some kind, whatever. At about 9.45, there's an armed robbery at... Uh, not like a home, uh, like a lumberyard. At a lumberyard? Something like There's that. There's an armed robbery at the lumberyard? Not yard? a lumberyard, but like a... Like a, a hardware store? Not a hardware store, but a little bigger than that. Okay. Like, a, like I can't think of it exactly, like, but that's what it was. It was a hardware store, of, but a larger hardware like store. Like an industrial supply. It was weird. Like No, but it was a retail. Okay, like a box store. Right, but early days. So it's not really considered a box store, but that's the early days. So uh, the reporter, get, we get the call. The reporter goes, well, I've got this story about the play and they go well I, and I go hey I'll do it uh, okay Shane go. I go I do a live hit into the late news off the top blah 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 okay boss comes in the next day and goes okay training's over for that so don't worry just you're our guy you do whatever we'll have you report Wednesday Thursday Friday the first weekend I'm there doing weather the sports guy calls in sick they go what are we going to do can anyone I go I can do sports so I do the weather and the sports Within like three weeks, I'm Monday to Friday. I'm doing sports at the 12 o'clock show. And then I'm doing a news story for the six o'clock show. And again, I always thought that's when I realized that I didn't have to go to all those small places. They all made me, allowed me to shine earlier. Well, not earlier, but at that moment, because I did every job at all those places. You did weather, you did sports. And you, you got news. the freedom and the experience and you kind of ground. You, you made your mistakes. I'm not going to use the term grind, but you, you made your mistakes, but you also had to work. And you were, you know, maybe if you started a large city or a large station, you might have started with a really piecemeal uh, element where you wouldn't actually have had to practice. No, it's uh, the people I run into, the colleagues that were the other way that it started in the big city, you can see that they didn't have the, like, I'm didn't not get the ready. hours behind right. the mic in front of the camera like you did. And, you know, I think if you're going to be good at anything, you need practice. Right. And it's nice to practice on a smaller stage. Right. And just do your time. Whereas also, if you were unpracticed, then maybe you screw up and maybe you think you're no good and maybe you get turfed. Um, Look, if I'm going to make a mistake, I make it in Yorkton, Saskatchewan. Excellent. I'm not making no one a mistake cares. in And Vancouver. like you said, no one could see that. Right. There didn't wasn't matter. recording. There's no YouTube. It's like gone in, gone in the ether. Whatever. It's it gone matter. to the next town. You have to, it's okay to make a mistake. It's making the same mistake twice. That's what it's all about. Like, exactly. I, so I have no problem. Yeah. Quick question. We'll put a pin in this, but sports, were you always a huge sports fan as a, a growing up? So the, when you got into that, you were good. You didn't, you didn't like come into being a sports fan 
through work, you already had that in your DNA and your experience. When I went to school in the first place, I wanted to be a sports guy. But it was when I got a taste of news and I felt like, wow, it's exciting to be in the middle of something. It's exciting to be at the murder scene. It sounds terrible, but it was adrenaline. It was exciting to be... When people wanted to know what was happening, they were coming to you to find out. And I love that. It was so exciting. I loved digging for the details. And, and I loved live television and, and, and then yeah. becoming live radio. Well, radio, live. But yes, um, it was just a, a rush. I loved it. I love being in the, the auto plant that's been taken over by the workers on a strike. I love being on the inside. You know, it was, it was fantastic. But then at some point, about probably 12, 13 years in, I was like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. It's the sa- every day is the same story with different names. Nothing changes. How many times can... The first time you do a story about someone's house that burns down and they lose everything, you can't wait to put the 1-800 number up in the trust and please help this family. By the 20th time you've done that story, you're like, do you have no insurance? Like, you become so cynical. Yeah. And when I became that guy, we used to high-five in the truck, me and the camera person, if we got someone to cry during an interview. Because we knew that would be lead story. I've heard you say that before. And, and yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sensory adaptation. You know, when you, you get used to something, you adapt, and, and it's not as interesting, intriguing. You know, your sensors dull, sense is dull to it. And I can, yeah, it's like the, in sales, it's like the first time you get a million-dollar deal, you're, you're ecstatic. You know, you get adrenaline, you're happy, you're, like, telling your boss, you're high-fiving, you're just, like, you know, pumping your fist at the phone. Yeah. And then suddenly you do that five more times, and suddenly it's like, now it's like, okay, whatever. It's just another number for me now. Oh, a few hundred grand, it's like, oh, it's nothing, like, whatever. You know, and the same thing with, I think, you know, and I would draw the parallel to the service industry. Like, you know, you're stoked when you're young and you're serving people. And I think that there's an expiry date there because people get bored and you're just like, okay, well, I've heard this a hundred times. Got to stay interested. Uh, you know, my beer is a bit flat or uh, can you get this? Or can we move the table? It's like, no. Yeah, I, you know, I'm almost off actually and right. I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, no, for and, sure. and like, yeah, and like you're with people that have, you know, you're reporting on real people, but you've seen it all and it's hard to empathize and be present and, and you know, always kind of make sure you're on point and, and how can you be? I mean, you're human and you get used to it. And like you said, it's, it's a job and it's repetitive. There's no new stories. They're all the same, <laughs> different names, locations, whatever you want to say. Every story is the same. Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable. So, and that's when I just uh, had the opportunity to move to sports. It just presented itself. It was the right place, right time, and I I made the move. And uh, thank goodness. Okay, so sports. So you you were on the West Coast. When did you move to Vancouver? When did you move to the West Coast? Uh, so gonna... after uh, I went from Lethbridge back to Ontario. Yeah. So where was I? You were in Sarnia. To Barrie. You were in Barrie. And then oh, and then I went to Edmonton. Okay. That- and I went to Edmonton, uh, and then from Edmonton I went to Victoria. I yeah. was working for the Vancouver Channel, but I was covering the legislature in Victoria, and then I came to Vancouver. And I came to Vancouver, I'm going to say, uh, 20, 21 years ago. 20, 21 years ago. Okay. So we're still, okay, the, then you have a huge breadth of experience, and that kind of take you, takes you into the aughts, and it takes you into how most of us know you, Vancouverites, people on the coast, uh, international sports, I guess, and a bit of Canada. But that's when you kind of came into your own. So before we get to Vancouver, uh, I have heard ter- you speak about the ledge in Victoria before. So my partner's from Victoria. I've spent more time than ever in Victoria the last six or seven years. Um, you know, beautiful city, uh, economically very strong. It's quaint. Newly wed and nearly dead, baby. 100%. Yeah. 
It yeah. was, you know, they were there were some university kids. There was the young girls and the young guys that worked for the government, uh, and then there was seniors, and that was it. And when I when I moved there, I went to look for an apartment, and I uh, oh there we go. And I uh, I'm looking. I see oh there's a vacancy sign very close to the legislature. I go great James Bay, senior center pretty much. I knock on the door, and the guy cut the super comes to the door, and he. Uh, no, it's really a seniors kind of build. But he goes, oh, he recognizes me because he used to live in Barrie, Ontario. And he goes, oh, Shane. And I go, oh, my God. So let me show you the place. Great place, 12th floor, great balcony. Building's got a pool. Everyone's old in the building, so like the pool's mine pretty much. Um, so I take the place, and then it was great. Every couple of months at the beginning, because he saw I didn't have a lot of furniture, because every time I'd move... At my goodbye party at my house, I had price tags on everything. Everything was for sale other than maybe my TV, my stereo, like things I would take with me. But everything else was for sale. So at the end of the party, people could take all their shit, and I'd have nothing to move. Uh, so I'd move with a little bit of stuff, and I'd get stuff when I was at a place. He'd always call me and go, hey, listen, uh, I just talked to the uh, lady in 702. Her children are moving into a home. She's selling her furniture in her place. You could go up there and grab a bunch of stuff. Oh, thanks, man. So I go up there and they go, yeah, will you give us $25 for that chair? Yeah, I'd love to. Great. I have no chair. So I'm like, sure, I'll give you $25. Yeah, that couch. Yeah, that coffee table. Oh, I got a dining room table at another place. Did my whole place in like two months. I think I spent $175. And I moved it in an elevator down and the super helped me. You didn't have to pay. You didn't have to move it. Was it was unbelievable. You know, that's brilliant. Um, this will be probably something you might edit out. You might not. I don't know. I have to pee so badly. Yeah, no, no. Let's we can just take a break. It's fine. Okay, it'd be great. I just have to pee so badly. Yeah. Better. Thank you. No problem. No, actually, <laughs> here's things that I'm going to cut out. So we've done two, we did two episodes that what I call episode zero and episode one has never been released. Because ah. me and Frank kind of right in kind of the heat of the COVID there that winter, and we would hang out and uh, we'd get into it. And um, I never released those episodes because they were kind of testing equipment and they were kind of just, okay, let's figure this out. Let's just record a couple of times. But I think I was a bit shy. I'm still a bit shy, but at the time too, nervous, shy, didn't want to release it, wasn't that interesting, but also we, we went kind of heavy. They're the and, lost tapes. And the, yeah, and, and, and I, I told, told him if we get to like 50 episodes or 100 episodes, I'll edit it up and send it out. But I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm good. I'm good for now. Let's, let's get some interesting folks in, hence you being here. Oh, well. But the second episode ended because I needed to go to the washroom. And I guess, I mean, <laughs> I think that anyone that does long-form, free-form conversations at some point, the bio break is going to happen, and especially if you're even if you're just having a, a couple coffees, a lot of water, maybe five beers, it's it's going to happen. Something, one way or the other. Yeah. So where were we? So you you you're in Vancouver. No, no. So we you did Victoria. Victoria, I got moved to Vancouver. Thank God, and it was great. So it's the the only thing that bothers me uh, is that. So I was working in Victoria. Uh, I got a call from a competitive station a competitor, and they offered me a job in Vancouver, and they'd move me to Vancouver. But I liked the company I was working for, so I reached back to them. And again, it's the only time you can ever play anything is when someone else wants you. 
And I said, hey, the other guys want me and they've offered me a job in Vancouver. I'd like to stay with you guys, though. What can you do for me? Because, you know, when I, they hired me, I was the Victoria guy. They wanted me to be the Victoria guy, the legislature guy. But I didn't want to be a newly wed and nearly dead. I wanted to get into the city. So uh, f- fortunately for me, the company that I worked for said, yeah, no, we don't want to lose you. We'll move you to Vancouver also, and you can come work in the main newsroom in Vancouver. Okay, great, thanks. So I came to Vancouver, and uh, yeah, 20, uh, 20, 21 years ago, and here's my favorite story. So when I moved to Vancouver, I got obviously have to look for an apartment, so I come a month earlier, and I've got the want ads, and I'm looking for an apartment. This was before all the online stuff. I have the newspaper. So I'm at, and I'd only been, I had a girlfriend that lived in Vancouver, so I'd been to Vancouver a couple of times, and I'd been to a bar in Kitsilano called the Regal Beagle, and uh, I thought, okay, you know what, I like this bar. Uh, the place I'm going to be working at is on West 2nd. I don't want to drive over a bridge. I'm not used to this world. I don't want to be live, driving, get stuck on a bridge. Uh, I'm gonna, I want to live in this area. I don't know kits. I don't know anything. So I have no preconceived ideas. So I go to the Beagle, uh, and uh, I'm looking at the Wantads, and I still remember the chair I'm sitting in, and there was a guy behind the bar, and we start talking, and it turns out him and his brother own the bar. And as it turns out 20 years later, I've never seen him behind the bar. He's never been behind the bar, but he was behind the bar that day. And we talk, and he goes, hey, listen, when you move to Vancouver uh, in a month from now, because I'd be in and out, I'd go see an apartment, I'd come back, I'd call, whatever I was doing. And he goes, when you move back to Vancouver, come in and I'll introduce you around. Okay, thanks, whatever. But I don't know anybody, and this guy, we got along great. Uh, At one point during the day, uh, they used to have a house in the back. It's burnt down since. Uh, but we, there was a house in the back of the Beagle. You'd walk out the back in the parking lot, and there was a house in the back. And we'd go in the back of the house, and maybe you'd partake in some uh, herbal remedies of some kind. Uh, so I had partaken with this guy, and I thought, well, you know what? This guy seems like a cool guy. I like this guy. Whatever. I'll, I'll go back in there when I move back, and I'll see. Uh, him and his brother have turned out to be two of the closest friends I've ever had in my life. I met my wife at the Beagle. Year, a few years later. What's the cross street of the Beagle? It's uh, Broadway in between, on Broadway between you and Vine. That's funny. I actually lived on Vine for a summer. Um, it's a cool zone. It's, yeah. it's, it's like a little bit further away from like the core of kits. It's a little right. quieter, but it's striking distance to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good spot. Anyway, go on. Sorry. No, it was great. So uh, I went in there and uh, so whenever I moved here was whatever, 20 odd years ago. So in 2000 and oh, so I moved here in 2000. So in 2001, uh, during the World Series, uh, because of 9-11, uh, the World Series was later. So there was a World Series game on Halloween. And the Yankees won the game. I'm a huge New York Yankees fan. And the Yankees won the game in the 10th inning on a walk-off home run. And it was, I, was, I was just pumped. And I'd been drinking and partying at home by myself watching the game because that's how I like to watch the game. Uh, and then I said, I'm going to the Beagle to celebrate. Not thinking it's Halloween. But I'm in all my, I, when I watch the game, I wear all my crap. I'm like, I'm a 10-year-old kid. I put my jersey on. I've got all my Yankee shit on. I'm just why not? Full, yeah, like why, exactly. Why not? Like, I'm full on. You can nerd out. I, just being your track pants is no fun. Fans are fanatic. And I'm, I, when it comes to the okay. teams I love, I'm into it, especially playoff time. It's, you don't know when it's going to come again. 
You know, you can go 50 years, 70. Like, I'm a Leafs fan. They haven't won the cup since I was two years old. It <laughs> doesn't count. I'm sorry about that. Right. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, so I'm a Habs fan, and I'm more of a fair weather. I love watching sports. I love games. Um, but, again, when the Habs go to the, the playoffs, the jersey comes out. Right, of You know, course. if I go to a Canucks game, I'll wear the Canucks jersey. I love it. Why not? Oh, I, you know? I don't go that far. I'm not wearing a Canucks jersey. But I'll still <laughs> I, I, I like well, to Canucks say. the Canucks are my B team. I've I been like, here for 16 years. Right, I and I'm not, a, you know, I'm not as, uh, well, I'm not going to call I like to say I play a Canucks fan on TV. That's my character. The truth comes out. The character, he loves the Canucks. But it it allowed me to be impartial the whole time. I didn't have the love affair. Like the guys that grew up here have the love affair with the team. I couldn't cover the Leafs rationally, but I admit that out front. I remember going to the Maple Leaf Gardens the first time to interview Doug Gilmore. I was shaking in my boots. Shaking like I might have been 10 years old. Yeah, because he's a legend. Oh, my God. He would have been your hero. I love the Leafs. Yeah. Oh, so... When I worked at Global in Vancouver, well, I was in an editing suite one day, and uh, you have a Yankee watch. And the editor beside me, as we're cutting my news story, looks at my watch and goes, oh, are you a Yankee fan? I go, oh, buddy, since 1978, I love the, the team. Bucky Dent, I, I, it's my team. He goes, my brother-in-law works for the team. He's on the training staff. I go, excuse me? He goes, yeah, my brother-in-law's on the team. He works on the training staff. Really? He goes, yeah, so we go down every time they come to Seattle. I go, well, I go down every time they come to Seattle. He goes, well, here, next time I'll call you when we'll get together. Okay, whatever. So we go down. Games are on, whatever. I'm always going down. He calls me. He goes, hey, listen, we're all getting together at, uh, so his name was Rohan that worked for the team. He was like one of the team trainers. He goes, uh, we're meeting at Rohan's mother. She, leaves in, she lives in Seattle, and uh, we're having dinner. Why don't you come over? So I go over. I'm taking pictures with his World Series ring. I'm like, it's unbelievable night. Uh, my the guy that was my the editor of the story, his wife was from Guyana, and for whatever reason, the family all moved to different parts of the Pacific Northwest. And the brother uh, was uh, got into training and whatever, and ended up on the Yankee staff. So anyway, we're taking pictures. Fast forward a couple of years, the Yankees are playing the Mariners in the playoffs, and I call Rohan up and I go, listen. I go, I, I, I'm coming down. I want to go to the game. He goes, listen, I can get you tickets, but you got to pay. I go, regular season, you didn't have to pay. He could just get you comp tickets. It's a hot ticket. I go, no problem. I go, I'll pay whatever. Like, I have no problem. He goes, okay, great. So he gets me tickets. So I'm sitting at the game with the Yankee wives. Oh. I'm in the wives section. It was the greatest That's, thrill of my life. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Like, there's Paul O'Neill's wife. There's Scott Brocious's. Like, it was, I, I couldn't believe it. So... Uh, Roger Clemens is pitching, and he strikes out like 18 guys. He throws a two-hitter. It is an unbelievable game. And every time he strikes out a guy, I'm like getting up, and I'm pulling the chain. Like I'm going, yeah, strike out. Uh, anyway, some guy throws like peanuts at me from another section. But because I'm in the Yankees' wives section, I could be somebody's brother. That guy gets thrown out of the game within two seconds. For it was peanuts. Unbelievable. You're VIP. Yeah, VIP. And it, so, yeah. So now I have to go pay Rohan for the tickets. I want to go to the hotel. So he goes, come to the hotel and I'll pay it. So I'm going to the team hotel. So as I'm walking in, I get in the elevator. I'm riding up in the elevator with El Duque. Orlando Hernandez, escaped from Cuba, pitches for the Yankees. He's a, he's a fucking legend. Definition of uh, legend. You escape from Cuba and become the you know, starting, starting pitcher on a raft. of one of the, well, the best franchise in baseball history. I'm going to say that because yes. we're privy, but I think that I'm not a big baseball the mo- the guy. The world's most famous is. franchise yeah. and the most successful franchise in North American professional sports history. Period. And you're there. And I'm in the elevator and I can't even look up. I stared at the ground 
And I'm no joke. So what is this? 2001. And you're a sportscaster. So 20 years ago, I'm 36 years old. I'm staring at the ground like I'm six years old. Yeah. I couldn't you're even look up. I, oh my God. Just to ride in the elevator with him was one of the greatest moments of my life. There you the go. house it's either sad or really great i don't know well both and well what's really great about it is you work in media so you're you know you inevitably you you do rub elbows with a lot of people you know you, whether it's you know movie stars actors sports individuals you know politicians you, you get to roll yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then i always get a little bit in, intrigued about my own self and that, that certain individuals and in certain situations i get a bit squeamish you know, and I, you know, I go to, I, I meet people that are well acclaimed. Usually, it's not a big deal, but I know that um, a little bit different. I mean, you're not acting normal, even if you think you are, and even if you're pretty chill. And I, and I don't, I'm not one to get starstruck. I'm also like, if anything, I'm just standoffish. I'll just be quiet if I, if I can't be normal. It's always better to be quiet anyway. But I find myself when I'm, well, in that case, I was mute. I might as well have been Helen Keller. Like I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> I was just uh, I was just sitting there, uh, standing there, staring at the ground in the elevator. But the, uh, the fact that that's one of my greatest moments is so. I, I don't know what the word is to describe how that is. I, it, it's awesome and sad at the same time. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, the nice thing is, I know uh, you know you live an interesting life and you do well, pretty awesome epic stuff. But I mean, again, these are the small moments that that you hold on to, and they're often not, you know, maybe you're not, you know, skydiving, maybe you're not in in, you know, Hawaii, maybe you're not, you know, you... no, it's I, I once uh, pyramid water skied live on television, and that was so I was working it in VR land at Barry, and you were it was in the pyramid. Oh, buddy! So it was the May two four weekend, the kickoff of the summer. Uh, we were doing the show, the six o'clock news from the beach praying no one got murdered that day so it wouldn't go hi everybody welcome to the beach three people dead in the car you know what i mean like you don't want that uh so they go shane so i do the sports at noon and then i'm on the six o'clock show and they go shane you're gonna pyramid water ski on the show they're gonna train you all afternoon it's gonna be great okay super so we're training on land and they're showing there's gonna be five of us along and then there's the two guys at the end then me and a girl on the two insides and another guy in the middle so me and the girl are going to be climbing up and standing on their shoulders on the boat as it goes. Okay. We, we practice on land and they show me how I'm going to do it. I'm going to step on this guy's shoulder. I'm going to put my hand here. This is how you do it. Hold on to the rope, whatever. You know. Okay. Anyway, we practice on land. We're going to try to do it in the water. Like I need to practice. The boss stops me because it's about 540 and goes, no, no, I don't want you wet. When the show starts, I want you to be like, it's, huh? What the? Okay. So the show comes. So we, we're about to, we're going to be the bumper that goes into the commercial where they go, hey, we're, where they come to the dock and there's five of us across. The boat's ready to pick us up and take us. And they go, when we come back, Shane's going pyramid water skiing, yada, yada. And we have a two-way radio with us on the dock or on, on the, uh, with, with the, well, the girl, I wasn't able to hold anything. Uh, the girl was holding a two-way radio so we could talk to the anchor on the beach and she'd be able to broadcast us through her microphone. So we go. Now we're, the boat's going, we come back, we're driving by, we got to do it. As God is my witness, I don't know how, but I climb up on their shoulders. The girl climbs up on the shoulders beside me. We've got, we fly, now we're coming around the front of the beach. We come by, we're talking on the radio. I'm freaking out. 
freaking out. She's got the microphone going, hey, uh, Joanna, we're here with me and Shana right here. Oh, how you doing? What's going on? Mother? Like, I was freaking, absolutely freaking. And then f- the guy says to me, the guy that's below me says, hey, listen, just, just so you know, if you're going to fall, make sure you fall backwards. And I'm thinking, if I'm going to fall, I've lost all control whatsoever. I'm not going to be able to decide which way I fall. We only trained for two hours. And if you fall forward, those guys are skiing right into you. Like what? For the next two days, my muscles were so tight in the position of me standing on with my knees. Imagine you're water skiing. Your knees are bent and your hands are out. Your knees are bent and your hands are out. And you're holding, you're holding on to the, to the, what, the bar or whatever they call it, the rope, the tow rope. That's how I walked around for the next two days. I was just so tight, my muscles. Like they atrophied. I couldn't move. It was unbelievable. Well, I think it's hilarious that you trained for two hours. It was like, it seems like something you would train for, you know, years, if not months, if not at least days. It was ridiculous. So you did it and it worked. It worked, but I would do anything. I'm quiet by most parts. I don't like to do things. I, I'm very homebody-ish, but I, I think I picked my career because it forced me to do things that I wouldn't normally do and get me out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I did it. So when the red light was on, the red light was on, I would, do all, I would never bungee jump because I'm not dying for fuck's sakes. I went bungee jumping once in New Zealand. It was fine. No, I'm you're, not interested kind in of that. Uh, I'm not interested in that shit. It's have, pretty safe. I, mean, I don't give a fucking shit. I don't fucking care. I'm never doing that. It's in safer million than years. the water skiing. No, whatever. Drowned. I was fine. There was. I fall in the water. It's the water. As long as I didn't fall forward, apparently. But still, uh, I've gone polar bear dipping. Not like they do fucking here, where they run into the water. No, I went where they cut a hole in the ice and you jump in the water and you jump on the fireman in the water. That's it. Real. That's real. real. That's a polar bear dip. Yeah. But when the red lights on, I did shit. I. You did your job, and well, you weren't squeamish, and you're you were in. You were 100 percent in. Well, again, it was my. Uh, one, one, one years ago, I'd quit smoking and, well, my radio personality had quit smoking and I hadn't in real life and I was at my stag and I was at the Beagle actually. I know this And story. you could smoke yeah. in the side and you could smoke and a guy came up to me and he goes, hey man, I thought you quit smoking because I was talking about it on the radio and I go, don't confuse me with my character. Mm-hmm. I, I used to be on and I'm, I'm glad people feel like they know me, but they don't know me because I don't want... <laughs> I barely share with the people closest to me. Like, you're only going to know me so much. And so I, I like to think in my head, I go, that's my character. Mm-hmm. That's the guy I play. He's Shane. He's the same guy because I love when people come up to me and say, you're the same in real life as you are on TV or on the radio. And I go, excellent. Because I don't worry about spending any time putting on a persona. Yeah. I am who I am. Like, there's, I, it, it came to me when I was living in Yorkton. When it comes, people either see me in black and white. There's no gray. People go, I love Shane. He's great. I hate Shane. He's a fucking loser. No one goes, eh, Shane's okay. I don't get that. Well, that's, and that's fine by me. Well, that's what's refreshing, though. And I think that's why no one likes TV and no one likes radio because it's just, it's the land of bland and, um, you know, that you don't get an individual character. I think, you know, American uh, broadcasting, you get people that are, or I guess it's opinion pieces or opinion shows where you have somebody that's, uh, you know, more strident and then they have to be like, you know, you know, Bill O'Reilly or they have to be so and so. And then there's like a small handful of folks that do opinion shows and they become, 
you know, the Rush Limbaugh or this or that. But the, for the most part, they just want talking heads. They want you to read from the teleprompter, basically want you to be a neutral vessel for whatever the machine is plugging you into to broadcast. And that's incredibly boring. I don't, you know, we, I haven't had cable in 20 years, you know, and I don't listen to the radio that often because it's really hard to get to the one radio show I really want to listen to. Hence, podcasting hence watch whatever you want on youtube hence you know tuning out because the content sphere is larger than ever so how do you pick out the niche that you want and i truly detest bad television more than anything um and commercials and all that jazz we uh, when i taught at bcit we taught a night school class me and perry salkowski is a sports guy a longtime sports guy at ctv he also has uh like myself aged out as uh, can we get someone who can blog and tweet all day? Plus, there no, I'm not interested in blogging and tweeting all day. I want to tell a story. That's what I'm interested in. That's what I got into it for. I'm not interested in blogging and tweeting and clicks. It's not my thing. But regardless, um, but you did start a podcast. Yes, but it just because it was for my own entertainment. Mm-hmm. I did it for me. Mm-hmm. It might be selfish, but I did it for me. Um, but I will say this. Uh, I used to tell, uh, I used to tell, what, what, did, what was your point? Now, see, I lost mine. I must <laughs> fell off the wheel. But you were saying, oh, oh, it's not, it was all, we used to say the same thing to them all the time. And now, being a talking head rather than, being, rather oh, than being a character. Oh, the only thing you have that's different. Like, we're all going to be, say, in, in news. We're all covering the fire. All the stations are there. CBC's there. CTV's there. Global's there. We're all there. The only thing that makes the story different is the person telling the story. Mm -hmm. So the only thing I have, because everyone has the facts. Now, in this world, facts are debatable. But in the the real world, facts are facts. Uh, So we all have the facts. So the only thing that makes it different is the person delivering the story. So once I clicked into that, that that was my advantage. For good or for better or for worse. People like you, people hate you. But that was the one thing I had to distinguish myself. It Mm -hmm. wasn't that I knew the fire was a four-alarmer. We all knew it was a four-alarm fire. We all knew that 42 people are without a home. We all knew that it was flooded. Like, what's my, what's my advantage? Well, my advantage is me. Whether it's an advantage or not, in my, it's the only thing I have that's different that I can bring. So I have to play to that. And when that clicked in and I let myself be, let myself be me, that changed the equation. Yeah. And we'll just fast forward a little bit. Um, but before we go into you departing from CBC, um, what was it like in the culture of the CBC at the time? And again, we all, everyone, I think that, that many or most Canadians or all Canadians have listened to CBC and many, if not most do listen to it here and there, if not on a regular basis. So what was, what was the good the highlights and lowlights at the time? Well, the highlights was the Canucks run to the final. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a post game show called seeking Stanley that had on any given night, you know, once the playoffs got going, so the first round Chicago, once they got through seven games, uh, by the end, I had over a million people watching on an evening. A million people in the lower mainland. Like, that's... A, All uh, of them. Every TV that... Like, nine out of ten TVs that were on were watching my show. And it was absolutely unbelievable. And it was a great show because it was free-flowing. There was no script. There was nothing. Like, let's be honest. Uh, the Canucks on their march to the final, I could have a show where it was just me standing beside a Canucks logo, and I'd get 500,000 people just watching that. Yeah, no, I remember that time, and, and um, you know, everyone rallies behind it. It was like when the Olympics came here. You didn't have to be a big sports fan to get into the spirit, or you knew somebody. Everyone was going to go watch the game. 
so you got into it and um it, w- it was exciting and, and like you said i mean <laughs> you could have just sat beside the logo but no you made it yours and you commented and you you lived it and you became you know a bit like part of the team like it was yeah people associated us with the team i walked into the bank at the corner here the td bank and all the ladies in the back would go hi stanley hi stanley because the show was seeking stanley they had no way they had no idea but whatever because everyone was watching. Everyone was captivated by the team's run, which was what happens at sports. It's the greatest uh, shared experience we can have. There's nothing like that. You could be watching on TV, listening on the radio at the game. When the puck goes off the post, we're all experiencing the same thing at the same time. When they win, we're all experiencing it at the same time. There's an emotional connection with the city that nothing else gives you other than sports. Nothing else. No, one, no one's all listening to the opera. No one's all, find something else that we're all doing together. Doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your age, your gender, nothing matters. It's the greatest equalizer there is. Yeah, and you find even the people that are maybe a bit more curmudgeonly about sports, a lot of people will get on the bandwagon, as they say. Um, and it's fun. But again, yeah, it is like a rallying point. It's, it drives community, it drives something to talk about but it's fun and it's exciting and it's not scripted you know right. it's, you know and like you're and not anything being manipulated could no and it's and it's exciting to watch and you know your team might win your team might lose and that's why you watch and then you get into the nitty grits you know strategy players characters you know whatever the side narrative is and whatever actually whatever we're kind of told by the sportscasters and the media because no one knows what Biesca's thinking or doing. I remember standing in the hallway in, uh, I don't think it was the Boston series, but San Jose, it was, I, there was a series where I can't remember the game, but I was in the hallway and I would be was doing the show live back to Vancouver. And at the time, the coach was Elaine Vigneault and he's walking by me and I'm live on TV and he whispers into my ear, tell them to keep the faith. And I, and it was because the Canucks media uh, department, they follow what's going on and they know how many people are watching our show and they know if they want to get a message out. So when I go to them, hey, can I get a guest? They know that there's 900,000 people watching back home in the home province. Yeah, we need to make sure our guy's available there so I could get guys. It was so funny. At the beginning, we were running a contest on the show. I'd have a trivia question every night and you'd win a prize pack from uh, this, these guys I knew that make them unbelievable Canucks gear. And so uh, they were friends of mine. So I had some great prize packs, like, you know, two, $300 worth of sweatshirts and t-shirts and all kinds of great stuff every night, uh, every game. And at the beginning, I, would, I wanted to give my own I wanted, we wanted to run everything tight to us that we're doing the show. We didn't want outside forces. Uh, one of the guys called them chuckleheads. We didn't want chuckleheads getting involved. There was just the main you. guys, what we were doing. So we kept it tight. So I had the number for the contest, my phone, and it was text the win. So in the first series against Chicago, I'd give the contest and I could feel my phone vibrating in my pocket, but you know, whatever. Oh, look, I got 150 entries, whatever. By the end, buddy, you'd be getting 40,000. Like, I couldn't keep my phone on me. Was it your phone? Yes. Your actual number? Yes. Do you still have that number? No, of course not. Um, but <laughs> it was your work phone. You yes. Your personal phone. Work phone. Okay. So it was. Cr- so it wasn't your number. It was no, your work. But number. it was my work phone. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not something I still give out regularly. <laughs> so that's ridiculous. So, so yeah. it was insane. But it was. It just showed me what was happening with the show. Mm-hmm. Like being on the road, I don't know what's happening in Vancouver. I don't know that the show's blowing up. But when my phone would go off like that, I'd go, oh, my God, people are watching. How many fucking people are watching? Oh, my God. 
It was amazing. It was a great run. And when the Canucks were up two games to none, we already had the discussion about the parade. But not because it's offside, but because it's the city. They have to be organized. Yeah. You can't throw you that together in 24 hours. Yeah. So, you know, we need a week and a half you to get it ready. You can throw a riot together in 24 hours. Though. Right. So, it was, uh, so I already knew I was going to be on the flatbed with the players. It was, would have been the greatest moment of my life. To feel what it would be like to be in a ticker tape parade in a Canadian city with a Stanley Cup champ yep. and be on the flatbed standing with Kevin Bieksa or, you know, whoever, one of, one of the Sidi. It would have been crazy. And I think also if you were in the East too, it's always a little bit easier if it's 8 o'clock here. Um, and it's the after show, we probably even get more viewership because people aren't, it's not 10, 11 o'clock where everyone's like, oh, I got to work tomorrow. Okay, this is, I'm pulling the shoot, I'm out of here. People are like, oh, it's like, it's quite early here. So it's like about 7 or 8 p.m. Like, I'm out, yeah, I'm totally into this. Bro, if it's your team, you'll stay up till 3 a.m. I won't. If you're in Montreal, you watch that post-game show forever because you just want to relive it. After a win. After a good game. After yeah. a loss, No. So but after, after a win, loss. yes. Okay, segue, the loss. Okay, so I remember, I suddenly I remembered actually where I was in the last game, and I was at the Anza Club. You've been to the Anza Club? Of course, I saw a great fucking party there one night. Yeah, yeah. so downstairs, there's a lounge. It's the um, Australia New Zealand Club in East Vancouver, kind of right straddling, you know, Broadway, Maine. But we're there. I, I think they probably had a larger showing upstairs where there's a concert venue and kind of community-style hall, and then downstairs, there's like a pub. Um, but we watched it and it was still light out. Cause I guess it was just summertime now. So it was still quite light out and we walked out and we went down to the park near Maine and Broadway and you could see the smoke plumes. So that's how that ended, which is so tragic after you were riding that high and you did all this amazing, it, how did that, that must've been kind of, it would have, it's nasty. It would have happened if they won though too, because no one goes out with Molotov cocktails and brings them home. <laughs> yeah right like you bring I, the case of beer to the party you're you not can, bringing it home no. so it's better they lost because it would have tarnished the win without a doubt um but i remember looking out the window i was getting ready to do the show looking out i was we were at the corner right at kitty corner to the post office downtown uh, and it's all glass windows and i'm looking out and i call uh i'm watching ron mclean and those guys wrap up but i'm watching out the corner and i say it to the in my microphone to the studio to the control room Hey, look out your window, man, right there. They're going to flip that car in a minute. And that car flipped. And then they said, okay, Shane, we're coming to you. News is scrambling to get going. So I did the first half hour mm -hmm. of the coverage of the riot. And I'm just describing what I'm seeing because I have no details. No one knows details. There are no details other than here come police and horseback down Georgia. They're firing tear gas. Like, what else is there other than that? No, you had the details. It was, it's right you in front, front of you. I'm the, it's when in doubt in my line of work. Uh, describe what you see. And that's what, and it was stuff that I couldn't believe I was seeing. And you were doing TV that day? TV. You weren't just doing, okay, no, so they CBC. also had video, but you Right, were, so you're seeing it and going, this is what we're commentating. seeing. commentating. Commentating. Yeah. And recap, you know, letting people know what's going on, waiting for our news department to, you know, ratchet it up. So about a half hour later, they're ready to go and they've got people in place and we're going to start going and I hand it off to them and then I'm getting the fuck out of Dodge. How'd you get out of there that night? Did you, did you get a sneaky spot? You just walked out, got home? Oh, I hung, I hung around for a while. I didn't want to... I waited till there was no action in front of our building. Mm -hmm. But what's amazing is while they threw shit and destroyed the post office way, behind them is us. Totally glass. The news. Nothing. Nothing at all. It was surreal. Weird. 
No, I mean that's wild. And yeah, I mean you just shelter in place. You're, like, you're not in a hurry. No. I mean, your staff, or I mean, you, I don't know how well. I mean, I don't know if I should ask this, but how how beefy is the security? I mean, in media, I'd imagine there's always a certain secure element, but oh. it, it's Canada, so it's not it's not going to be insane. No, but it's there, man. There's yeah. been a, you know a few incidents where. Uh, Reporters, I, I'm thinking it was Winnipeg or Ottawa. Sports guy was shot, like shot. Yeah, in Canada. Yeah, there's there's some nutters out there. The, yeah, and the, the security's high, and people again, for whatever reason, they see on TV, they think whatever. I don't know what. Um, so yeah, oh no, security's always been. Uh, look, from the at the beginning of my career, no, but no one cared in Yorkton. Um, but as I got by the time I was at CVC, oh, security was tight. Good, tight, tight. And uh, look, even where I work now at a, at a school, it's a Jewish school, so there's extra concern. There's super tight security everywhere. Yeah, no, it's 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 pretty well sad and tragic what what's happened this week down south and and our good friends in the, in the United States of America. And uh, it's sad. I mean, I grew up in Peterborough. I mean, you grew up in Toronto, where they probably had some pretty beefy security at some schools. Not mine, though. It was not. I'm talking about. Look, most schools. I was know. in the high. I was in junior high in the '70s and high school in the early '80s. There's nothing going on. Yeah, yeah. And I, I again, yeah, I went to school in the the late '90s in Pete in Peterborough. Nothing's going on. Nothing's going on. Um, as it should. You know, it's a school. That's a blessing. That's yeah. a blessing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, moving it forward from there i mean i think there's you just touched on one of the the subjects we won't get to today which is no. philanthropy um and your your current gig that's fine we're, we're going to be running out of time um i apologize yeah. no don't apologize well you can apologize well, I, you know i, I apologize um, prior commitments unfortunately oh no, as you should which, which again for two years had none I know. There was no such thing as a prior commitment. We, we wouldn't even be in a room together. We'd be right. in the alley, just kind of just being exactly. standoffish, six feet. Exactly. But the alley's been the safest place in the city. It's true. No cases in the alley. Yeah. That's all we can Stay say. Stay safe. You know, drink hard alcohol, have a sauna, relax, be be a, be kind to yourself. And uh, it's yeah. all good. Thank be, you very be much. Outside. Thank you very much for having me. No, it's it's more than a pleasure. Hopefully, we'll get to do it again. But if not, I again, I can't thank you enough for your time. And uh, yeah, Shane Foxman, local legend, broadcaster, general uh, good guy, and four, an optimist. The four stages of your career. Who's Shane Foxman? Get me Shane Foxman. Get me a young Shane Foxman. Who's Shane Foxman? Okay. I think I'm at the. I think I might be a number four right now. So I appreciate. Okay. The time. Well, I'm, I'd love to have you back with Frank, and there's a, sure. there's some things we didn't get into, um, but luckily I'll be extremely busy over the next six weeks. Yes, you and, will. And um, at the same time, I'll be around and probably a bit frazzled and look for a side side project. So, um, without, anytime. Without further ado, anything else you'd like to say here in town? No, it was a it was a pleasure and uh, always available. Okay. Well, thank you so much, my friend, and. Again, this is a Sound Ideas podcast. Uh, just thanking Shane for, for making some time during one of the busiest times of the year. So, Pleasure. Auf Wiedersehen.